This is the Family Friendly Workplace Podcast produced by Women's Agenda. Why are we still using terms like primary and secondary carer, especially when it comes to paid parental leave? Why do we position one parent as more important than another when it comes to how they'll be supported in the workplace if they have children? And are these terms actually holding back progress when it comes to sharing the care? My name is Angela Priestley, and this is the Family Friendly Workplaces podcast, a series of conversations with senior leaders created to bring to life some of the things employers are doing to create family-friendly workplaces. Today, I speak to Melanie Evans, the CEO of ING. Melanie was appointed to lead the bank in late 2020 after joining in 2017 as the head of retail. So in this episode, you'll learn more about Melanie's career and get some insight into how she operates authentically. And as particularly relevant to this series, you'll learn how Melanie started her first role with the bank while she was 30 weeks pregnant. It was this experience that spurred her on to overhaul the bank's paid parental leave policy, seeing it later become the first bank in Australia to offer 14 weeks paid leave to all new parents regardless of any corporate or community constructed status labels. So no more primary parents, no more secondary parents. As Melanie says, parents are parents. And now more men than women are taking paid parental leave at ING, which is impressive given they have a near 50-50 gender split. This conversation also explores a number of other successful initiatives at the bank with plenty of great tips and advice from Melanie. Let's get stuck in. Thank you for joining me, Melanie. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> so um, we are sitting in ING's headquarters here in Sydney. And as I walked in, I remember the last time that I came here was for the launch of your new paid parental leave policy, which offers 14 weeks paid leave to all new parents, regardless of whether they are primary or secondary carers. So you removed the labels there. Yes, Which was very game changing and still is. And you were the first bank to do so. So... I will obviously want to talk about that and we'll get into that in a moment. A lot has changed in the past couple of years, including that you have been appointed to CEO of ING from your previous role as head of retail bank. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And I remember seeing that appointment and thinking, wow, she launched that policy. This is a great sign. So, (laughs) um, So... Yeah, before we get into some of the policies that you have here and how you're creating a family-friendly workplace, I wanted to ask about your leadership Mm. career and how you've made it Mm family-friendly, the parental leave that you've taken and Mm -hmm. how it may or may not have sort of intertwined Mm. with promotions or other things along the way. Mm. Well, whenever anyone asks me about sort of my perspective on things, I think it's really important to start you know, way back at the beginning. And the reality is I think some of these beliefs uh, about equality, about family and about doing the right thing are are hard-coded into you way before you even get into the workforce. So, Mm. you know, I grew grew up in a family where both of my parents worked. Um, They had to work to pay the mortgage. And, you know, I worked in in a family that was aspirational. Um, I wouldn't have described my upbringing as having a silver spoon in my mouth. And and I do think you bring that perspective to whatever you do. So I started in a branch uh, as a 17-year-old cadet, Bankstown Square branch uh, in southwest Mm. Sydney. And I worked as a cadet, which was sort of like a part-time 
uh, full-time course for young people who wanted to get work experience while studying at university. So I did finance and marketing. Um, so I worked at St George for I think five or six years and then uh, made the move to Westpac in a stockbroking role. I was working in online digital stockbroking at that point. I was lucky enough to have been given the opportunity to do uh, an end-to-end business role, if you'd like, and I'd sort of found something that I found really interesting in terms of digital and running a business. Mm. Uh, I then spent 10 years at BT and I worked there everything from distribution to chief marketing officer, brand, uh, and ended up leading the superannuation and platforms and then switched back into banking at Westpac, retail banking, did a stint in business banking. And through that period, I had my first child. So I had my first child in my late 30s. Um, so I was in a relatively senior role uh, in the Westpac group. So um, welcomed my daughter into the world. Mm. And then ING called me and said, hey, we're creating this really great role, the head of retail role. I met ING and then literally three days later, I found out I was welcoming my second child (laughs) uh, while my first child was still, I think, so I think she was 10 months at the time. So I was like, what am I doing? I've got a 10 month old. I'm putting my hand up for this fantastic job in this, in this new organization. And I am having my second child. Like, am I crazy? And I remember calling my mom and saying, what do you think? Should I do this? Um, Because you do start questioning if you can manage it all. Mm. And she said, keep going with it. And I, so I told ING very early on, I think they knew before many people in my life Mm. and yeah, was successful in getting the role. Uh, So I literally started work here at ING uh, almost 30 weeks pregnant. So it was very obvious to people that I was soon to take a little bit of leave and yeah, worked, worked through those last few weeks, welcomed my second into the world. And then I actually eased back in after my second child. So I took, I think it was five months off work. Mm. And then I worked part-time for a period and then sort of came back soon after. So yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it, it's it's quite um, a journey, particularly when you think about the fact that through Westpac mm. BT, obviously a long career through that yeah. transitioning and changing across different areas. Yeah but then to a completely different organisation yeah. starting out that way. As you were saying that when you mentioned that you went and asked your mother, I was reflecting on just <laughs> my own parent groups and things like that where yeah. we have these discussions. Of, yeah. Should I go and work for this startup? Should I do this? Should I go and do this full time? Yeah. My, my baby's 10 months old. Am I ready for this? And we, yeah. I think we often have those conversations where we're trying to figure out, is this going to work? From, from your perspective, did it feel like if it didn't work, it would be okay? Or what were you, how did you weigh up? Well, I think it showed, and I've reflected on this since, it showed that I thought that there was structural issues with the way that the world worked. That if I thought that as a female, I couldn't take a bigger job in a new organisation while I was expecting a child, you know, why would a male think any differently? So that's the first thing you sort of weigh up. Mm. is why am I having this internal discussion with myself? The second thing that it made me realise was it allowed me to ask more questions of my future employer being ING than probably what I would have otherwise asked. Mm. I think the context that you bring to a selection process, you actually realise that you're interviewing 
the organisation and the leadership in that organisation more than you think you are. And so it made me feel to some extent in a more powerful situation because I was checking in on making sure that I was joining a progressive organisation that was going to support me. Mm. I mean, the initial response was, don't worry about it, you know, of course. And both locally and globally, the more time I spent with certain leaders, the more I actually really wanted the job, to be honest, because I was like, when you're at this point of your life and you're starting off a young family and you've got all of the pressures of the juggle and everything else, it's increasingly important to choose an employer who looks after you. Yeah, yeah, and I see what you mean. At that point, you could ask those questions and and you didn't have too much to lose at that point by asking those questions straight up. It was pretty it was pretty obvious why I was asking the questions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, did you also have this sense of like obviously you're going into a very senior position that well, I can demonstrate that this can work as well? I think I knew. I think I because I because it was my second child, I didn't have the unknowns that I I think you do have when you're approaching parenthood for the first time. Uh, So I I knew almost what I was getting myself into. Mm. I never like to think about what it looks like for other people. I'm probably, to be frank, more focused on ensuring that I'm looking after my own family and my own children and things like that. But I am a believer that you can't be what you can't see. You know, I... I certainly had a few female executives around me uh, through my career who I saw juggling, but I also had some really great male role models as well who had very clearly put family and their personal lives and being something other than what they were at work out into the public arena and and sort of shared those things. So I I do think it's important to be really open or be authentic, basically. So not try and be this perfection, she's got it all under control, (laughs) you know, like parenthood's easy, career's easy. Because the reality is we all know it, it's not perfect. Um, So I I am probably more conscious of sharing now than what I did at the time. And I think it's incredibly important to show all parents that organisations can look after you through those periods of life. But, you know, as a leader, you know that those life moments are not just having children. They could be, Mm. you know, terrible tragedies that happen in families or or whatever. So Mm. I guess I take a broader view of it now. Yeah, yeah, that that families, family life, everyone really has some kind of family life and it's all in different contexts and it may be about – caring for elderly parents it it may be about wanting to be there for your friend who's really experiencing some kind of crisis exactly and that's the point about you know making sure that you're creating a workplace where everyone feels welcome and no matter what your priorities are in life Mm -hmm. that you're working for an organization that respects those priorities and wants to help you you know I mean I I always say I've never wanted to work for someone who you know, isn't happy in their personal life as well as their professional life. You know, Mm. you want to work with well-rounded, well-balanced people who are good humans and and we all get to that point in different ways. And so to some extent, while today we'll probably focus on family, I'm also very conscious of focusing on other things. So, you know, I wasn't a parent five and a half years ago. Mm. (laughs) So there were other things in life that were important to me, not work-related, So I do think it's becoming increasingly important and accepted that better lives are facilitated by better workplaces and and 
that's part of the deal now. And I think it's great. Mm. It's fantastic. I will ask you one more question on your own experiences yeah. before we get into some of the, these other pieces. But I wanted to ask about that period of parental leave that you took that was five months long mm. to hear if you might have any advice regarding what worked for you at that point in terms of staying connected to your workplace and what may have helped, what advice, not just for you, but for anyone who is in a team and it has seen someone go on parental leave, what mm. they can do to make sure that they are supported during that period as well. Yeah. So I think the first thing is is to have a really honest conversation before you go off about in my view what particularly those first few weeks look like I don't know what your experience was but my few first few weeks with both of my children were all about my children and not about my job at all Mm. and I was so I had a very clear sense that actually I wanted to switch off and I wasn't going to be on email or anything like that so actually, to be frank, I disconnected with both of my, you know, with, with both children, I disconnected from my role for a period of time. Mm. And I think that that's really important because I do think that um, looking after your child is a very um, full-time job, particularly in those early days. And it just helped me get into a rhythm to, to bond with my child and to know that I was putting them as number one. Mm. And I was really clear about that both times. Mm. The second time round, I made it clear that I didn't expect my second child to be like my first. So I was going to let the organisation know when I was coming back up for air. And that was relatively soon. So I was sort of in, you know, email uh, and text and phone calls and stuff like that. So I was connecting with people as humans more than I was the job. Mm. And I I'd, I'd delegated my job. So I'd given it to someone else for that period. What's really important is that you, in my view, you stay connected from a human perspective more so than your role. And you know when the time is right, when you're ready to start reading the daily news or reading papers or anything like that. So so I, I kept those open lines of communication, not just with my leader, but with my peer group and my team. Mm-hmm. And so I made it really clear how I was going to come back to work because everyone actually really is happy for you too. So they want to see the baby, they want to have a hug, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I think coming in and socially connecting with people is Mm. actually critical. Mm. And then I sort of came in for particular meetings or, you know, strategic conversations or something like that. And then as I decided to step in part-time, I got really, really disciplined at sending an email at the start of each week and saying, This week I'll be in the office on Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursday and here will be the three priorities that I'm working on. And I sent that to most people so that people didn't either have a low expectation of what I was doing but they also didn't have high expectations that I wasn't able to fulfil. So I just tried to manage expectations basically and so that people – I didn't overpromise or underpromise. And so, yeah, I guess I kept connected socially (laughs) – don't underestimate the importance of that and then sort of coming in and and transitioning into part-time work what we do at ING is that we have um, touchdown days Um, so for parents who are returning back from parental leave when they come into the office they're actually paid so it's not a social visit where you're coming in that we actually say given that you're touching back in and you're reconnecting it's appropriate that we pay you for your time yeah Um, Mm. and I think that that does change how people see the return to work, that they don't feel as though they're giving up their own personal time for no reward as they transition back into 
yeah, work, especially as you go in, maybe even just to have a fifteen-minute conversation really with the important. manager or something. That to know that your, your time making that trip in is is valued exactly. and seen as essential. Exactly. Mm. And also, it's a fair. It's fair. It's the right thing to do. Mm. And I think sometimes organisations don't think like that. Um, they don't think what it's like to be, you know, sitting at home um, with the financial pressures of you know a, a young family and things like that. And and yeah, so there's there's a few things that we've done in terms of that side of things that I think has also, I guess, recognised some of the f- how people feel when they're returning to work. Yeah, I also like your idea about sending that email. And even if you don't <laughs> have a team, I think that you can send that email to yourself as well yeah. because it is setting out the expectation and just taking a time to think about, yeah, this week, and it is hard. It's always hard. It's always all over the shop. This is going to happen. Yeah. This is what I want to prioritise and this is when I can make that time to be available for work or not. Exactly. And I think part of this is also, and we'll get in, I think we'll probably talk about caring, is as a parent of a young child, you've got caring arrangements. So you're actually constrained physically and, you know, obviously from you know mental capacity perspective that you can only work when you've got caring arrangements in place. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm not a very good multitasker, I have mm. to say. So, you know, COVID is just another another world for champion multitaskers. <laughs> um, I've never managed uh, to win a gold medal in wrangling a two or a three-year-old while putting my mind to an important piece of work. So if you know the secret to that, let me know. <laughs> uh, so I think the reality is on those return to work, the other thing is to get your care in place and not to set yourself up for failure where you think that you can be a full-time parent while also being a full-time worker. I just mm. – personally that doesn't – it's never worked for me. Um, now, there may be people who, how, as I said, who may have a superpower I don't have, but that was always a pretty clear rule yeah. in terms of how I approach things. It's never worked for me. I have attempted something similar, but <laughs> it's more that the problem is that you have to sacrifice your sleep and then yeah. there's a whole other issue with the, the, the health issues around that and whether yeah. you can actually be the best employee or the best parent that you need to be. And that's certainly, um, yeah, definitely how I looked at a few things back during my time through mm. parental leave was, well, I can just get up really early. And you you, you actually don't want to be doing that necessarily with a small child or, or a baby because you don't know what kind of night that baby is Correct. going to have. So, all right. So I do want to obviously talk about um, some other things happening mm. here at ING, particularly the, parent, the paid parental leave policy. So introduced around almost two years ago. Um, so removing those labels, so no yep. primary, no secondary carers, there are just new parents and all pa- new parents can access the full 14 weeks of paid leave. I've seen some stats on the current results of this and that was that in the first 12 months since launching, the number of dads who took paid parental leave increased fourfold, which is amazing. And in the past 12 months, more men than women have taken paid Correct. parental leave, which is also Woo-hoo! obviously amazing. Win, win, win. <laughs> and, and to balance that, that is not a function of our workforce complexion. Uh, so we actually have, you know, 49% um, male and, a, and a, you know, 51% female workforce. So Wow, okay. Uh, so more men taking parental leave than women is a fundamental shift in behaviour. It's not just because we have more men. Okay. Yes, and not just because women are having any less babies, obviously. Correct, <laughs> yeah. correct. Yes. Um, no, that's they are amazing results and really good to see. So 
I'm just taking because you you joined ING in 2017, mm-hmm. and and maybe you could take me back to how this policy was created and mm-hmm. your involvement in it at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a few things bubbling, right? So so clearly early on in my time at ING, I enjoyed paid parental leave. I was also leading a person in my team uh, who was male, and his um, his wife was pregnant at a very similar time. And to be frank, in the back of my mind, I was comparing and contrasting his experience to mine. His child was born, you know, in a, at a similar time. Technically, he wasn't the primary caregiver. But really, I looked at our households or probably our outlook towards life. And I think we had some similarities. Both partners feeling like they're equally responsible and, and want to actually be involved in parenting. But this whole concept of being a primary carer versus a secondary or the fact that he was a male and I was a female led to very different family outcomes. Mm. And I think as a leader, these things do impact you. Well, they impact me because I could just see how much he wanted to be involved. And he actually briefed me and it made me want to understand our policy because I, I sort of wanted to understand what I could do to sort of try and help it. What we then did was um, it uncovered some other opportunities in terms of bringing our parental leave policy to, to, to be frank, to reflect the organisation that we are. We're pretty modern, we're pretty progressive. Um, we're certainly not an organisation that stereotypes by age or, or gender or anything like that, but we just had this policy that seemed to probably not reflect how we wanted to be. Mm. So... Um, I brought in the help of our um, lead of uh, diversity and inclusion and, and from HR. We obviously reached out to organisations like Parents at Work um, and, and those sorts of things. We, d- we do tend to go outside of ING when we're thinking about changing things. Often we go to CW, Diversity Council, those sorts of things and actually ask experts for their help. Mm. And then we did some research, which wasn't just about our own employee base. It was actually about Australians more broadly and it it proved what we thought was happening which was a large percentage of Australians actually see themselves as equal carers at home but what's happening in workplaces is that policies are not sort of supporting that and so we had this we had this gap between what people wanted and what organizations were giving so it became pretty clear that all we had to do was it sounds so easy now. All we had to do was take away the labels, take away the concept of maternity leave versus parental leave, and just. And the other thing is, is we found that families were not all created equally, and how we're all living our lives is just fundamentally diverse. And this whole concept of an average Australian family out the window. The other thing I do want to say is that two in five men said that they thought that they would be judged and that there would be long-term career implications of them asking for leave. So we we learn about this stigma, which I don't think we thought of when we were first going in. Mm. So basically, um, we did a very corporate thing and put a big presentation and business case together and we took it to our executive team and basically it took about two seconds for the executive team to go, yep, great idea, let's go. And... In hindsight, it was good doing all of the research to understand what problems we were solving so that we could get the policy in place. And it also helped us realise that when we introduced the policy, it wasn't just the policy. We had to get that behavioural change. So I had to stand in a room and tell a group of 
males that I expected them to take their leave. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You have to you have to set that expectation. So I'm glad we took the time to understand the problem. Um, it didn't take us very long to to make the change. And so we made that change in late 2019. And I'm glad we made the change, um, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because uh, and you know obviously all the stats I think the number of men taking more than six weeks is now sixfold what it was before the the change. So mm-hmm. we're also seeing men step into longer caregiving earlier on in a child's life. We're also also seeing men take multiple periods of parental leave. So at the at the start of baby's life, but also helping their partner get back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing all the right behaviours that we wanted to see. At the back of this, what we also do is we remove the unconscious bias around career progression and promotion. Mm. So if all parents are treated equal, I'm not going to be interviewing you as a female and thinking about you potentially taking leave any more differently as a male. Yeah, that's now, a great win. We yeah. haven't measured that. Mm. There's no, It's almost impossible to measure some of these unconscious things. Mm. But these are sort of secondary benefits that we know exist more broadly in the community and so it, you've just removed that bias completely. Yeah, yeah. Particularly given more men are taking leave than women. Yeah, exactly. That's what they should <laughs> the be thinking. The bias may shift the other way. You <laughs> oh, know, you never know. This 35-year-old man. Yeah, no, that, it, it's really incredible to see and especially in the context of, say, the government paid parental leave scheme where we know that only around 5% of those people taking the primary, um, what's offered for primary care is a male. So it's, it's quite a difference there. I guess, I, I guess I think what we have to challenge here as a community is why the primary matters. Why the word primary matters. Yeah, yeah. and I, mm. you know, I think all of the research around you know, that UNICEF have done and we certainly spoke to um, some child development experts as well, it actually says that both parents matter. Mm. And, you know, I'm not talking male, female or, or whatever. I'm not making judgments of the family structure. But it actually says if a parent is going to be in the child's life for the long term, the bonding in those first few months is incredibly important. Mm. So who, I mean, uh, you know... Why are we so obsessed with this primary versus secondary? Mm. Uh, which is one of the reasons also why we just removed the labels and said a parent is a parent. You organise your parenting and your family however you want. Um, but you're as equally accountable for your family as as the person you're doing it alongside or, or maybe if you're doing it by yourself even. But mm. it's really important. Mm, yes, agreed. All parents, that's and that's the, the, the big cultural shift that we need and we see it's happening in some Scandinavian com- countries yeah. particularly, but to, to see how we can make that shift happen within corporates here is is hugely important. And, I mean, one thing, and you've touched on it there, it's you can have a policy, but if people aren't actually using the policy, then it's kind yes. of pointless. So, yes, obviously many are using this policy. Do you still sense that there is any hesitancy or any concern about career progression if a male does choose to to take this i'd like to think not i i as i as you asked me that question i'm thinking about the senior members of our leadership group who are you know highly thought of in our organization considered top talent 
Um, I can think of four males at the top of my head who have used this policy in the last few years. Mm. Um, I think that's a good indication mm. that people feel confident that it's okay. Um, I think we've probably moved a step beyond okay. We've almost said this is expected. Mm. That in a modern Australia, we expect that you want to spend time with your child. We expect that it's the right thing to do. I, I do wonder if COVID has helped us a little bit in terms of in terms of uptake because we, we did do a bit of research last year that showed that more parents did want to be caring more and that caring for a child during COVID was actually more challenging, mm. even for second-time parents. Mm. So I wonder if, if that's helped us. We've timed it fortuitously, basically. Um, but you have to you have to sort of make it the norm and just remove the stigma. And and I think that if you can remove that stigma by showing that it's normal, by positioning it as expected, and by almost saying, if you want to work for a modern and progressive company, this is how we're not telling people how to structure their lives, but mm. but you know, I do think that it helps. And, you know, for me, as much as I run through all the stats and I'm really proud. Um, often it's the little emails I get from parents saying, I would never have gotten this opportunity. Here's a photo of me with my, mm-hmm. you know, young child or, or so on and so forth. And, you know, my partner's transitioning back to work and it's really helping. And, and you know, we all know that even transitioning back to work, transitioning your child into childcare can be difficult for those of us who have lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um you know the moments when you need both parents around or when it might help and I think that's important. Yeah, those lived experiences of those first <laughs> few months of childcare when they get every Correct. kind of right? disease and virus exactly. that you never even that you never exactly. even knew existed. Exactly. <laughs> but if you haven't lived that or seen that, it's mm. really hard to you hear it. As a leader you hear it whether you've got children or not. Um, but I think your level of empathy probably multiplies a hundred once you've yep. experienced once you've it. experienced a child <laughs> with hand, foot, and mouth disease, and, <laughs> and realise there's not you. much you can do but stay home with them. So, <laughs> and hope and hope that you save the other children in the household. From yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I want to just touch on some other things that are family friendly and other mm. initiatives that you're doing that yeah. possibly might inspire other organisations mm. as well. I guess just to ask firstly about flexible work. Yes. Particularly in this post-COVID world. Yeah. What Critical. what do you see as the setup moving forward now? Okay. So I should say we actually launched our flexible working approach before we changed our parental leave approach. So the, the first thing I'd say is, is you have to have both working in tandem mm-hmm. and the benefits you get by having both working well critical because you know and I've shared my own experience in terms of flexing back into the workforce um it's you know so we had over 30 percent of our team working flexibly before COVID so our transition to work from home was not Mm. as you know monumental Mm. Mm. everyone had mobiles they didn't have fixed phones people had laptops all of those things so we were tooled and ready to go um, the, those people who found it most difficult were those who had never considered flexing or hadn't experienced the benefits of it. And I almost feel like COVID has converted all of those people into this whole new world of not having to transit some days or, you know, being better at life and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think 
flexing is here to stay, but I say that as an organisation that thought that way before COVID anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think that that helps the way that we that we do it. So I see COVID as having opened the minds of more of our team members around how flexing um, can help can help them. What we have done right through the last, oh, I guess it's twelve months now, is we have done pulse surveys. So we get a very good sense of what parts of our workplace and what initiatives or policies are actually helping our people. So we do ask people about flexing. We ask if they're using it appropriately, if it's helping manage their lives. Mm. I, I guess we all talk about the benefits of flexing and I just want to say that flexing is not just work from home. Mm. First misnomer. Flexing can be what work you do where. It can be compressing hours. It can be a whole range of things. Mm. So you have to make sure that your your flexible workplace strategy doesn't equal work from home. It has to be more than that. Mm. Because we know the challenges that we're solving for are things like making space in your day for other responsibilities, whether that's caring, exercise, just general well-being. Whatever makes you happy, mm. you know, what we want to do is is have our people being flexible. So that's the first, that's the first thing. The second thing is, again, you've got to measure it and make sure people are using it um, in a productive way. Because if you just look at it from a work from home perspective, you could get an outcome where everyone doesn't get any time back and they just fill their transit time with work, work yeah. which actually mm. negates the actual benefits of flexing in the first place. Mm. So, you, you know, we're, we're really tracking our, our wellbeing scores around that and, and we're very clear that this is about, um, I mean, it helps when your taglines do your thing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is about helping people do other stuff. When you try, I don't know what you can mention in terms of well-being, but is there anything you could say on how well-being has gone over this period? So our well-being has tracked, um, you know, um, relatively stable over this period, um, and I should say we've done a number of things to help help with that. So um, we have seventy uh, mental health first aid trained so a lot of organizations focus on training for physical first aid um, not mental first aid and heading into COVID we had a very we had a very strong well-being program before we hit COVID and I think that really helped so that allowed us you know in some business units where we knew that there was a lot of pressure staff actually got a call from someone saying hey just checking in are you all right we actually proactively reached out and checked in on people and mm. um, we had what we called Wellbeing Wednesdays. Now, they range from everything from funk dance classes through to pretty serious discussions around mental health to to sort of wellbeing. We had exercise. And you could see the weeks that we we had those wellbeing sessions, wellbeing certainly, our wellbeing scores went up. Mm. So Mm. we do have evidence that shows when you double down on these activities, your people feel better about coming to work. but you do have to have a good level of leadership understanding about making people's lives easier. So you can do all of these sort of central things, but nothing is better than a leader being able to pick up that you're not exactly happy and asking you if everything's okay. Yeah. And I think that big corporates spend a lot sometimes can spend a lot of time getting policies and practices that are broad based right, but nothing's better than your leader picking up that you're you need a 
well, not a hug in COVID, but you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Or, or even nothing's better than I think, you know, you know, a, a manager can very quickly destroy somebody's um, mm-hmm. sense of being able to use flexible working to how they need to actually use that working. So yeah, exactly. And and also, and, and that's part of the thing that COVID's done is it's actually enlightened a whole lot of people who were probably not exactly convinced that it was something that worked for them and you know I think when you've got a culture where you trust people and you're actually saying to them you do you and your day and we're going to measure you on impact and outcome rather than on presenteeism and turning up and being seen to be around I think that that Mm. so I I I think our culture heading into COVID helped us a lot it doesn't mean that our challenges are any different so we did have challenges of particular individuals feeling not happy during COVID where some employees and team members put their hands up and said, we actually want to come back to work. We want, we need that human connection because we're feeling lonely and isolated. Um, what I did as CEO, I had listening sessions. So I listened with an ING at the end. Mm. And I do it often when there's an issue that I want to better understand. And I had very early on in COVID, I segmented um, old marketer in mm. me And I had listening sessions for single people who were who lived alone. Um, I had listening sessions with people with children under school age. Then I had sort of primary school, high school, and then I had um, well, I don't want to say empty nesters, but you know what I mean. So, Mm. and everyone had really different views about the impact of COVID, how flexing was going to help them or hinder them. And it really depended not just on your um, own personal view of the world, but what living situation that they were in did have a big um, driver of that. And I think mm. the more leaders can hear that firsthand and actually be curious about it, the better armed they are to work out how to solve some of the problems. Because locking people out of a building and mothballing it is actually not the right strategy if 30% of your workforce is living solo and need yeah. human interaction. Or maybe living with flatmates that Correct. they need to get away from Correct. during the day. So Correct. it's definitely, uh, it is a thing. And, you know, work is can be a social place. It's where you can make a lot of friends. It's where you can obviously collaborate and share yeah. ideas and, and get excited about things. And so we do still want to have some kind of contact yeah. With those work, particularly for, for younger employees as well. Yeah. And linking that back to flexing, um, that's about what work you do where. So for some people, doing teamwork and collaboration and creativity in the office with a group of people, socially distanced, of course, is critical for them being able to have the impact that they need to have on the business. Then they can go home and do individual work after that piece of inception or whatever. And again, this depends on what job you have. Um, versus someone working in our contact centre um, who might be working from home at their kitchen table for a six or a seven hour shift. You know, so you can see there, I mean, just mm. you've really got to get into the detail here and understand your team members, what the commute looks like, what, what a typical day looks like, because I do think what type of work. And then the other thing I love is like all of these, you know, executives talking about work from home and things like that. And it's like, of the economy doesn't even work in an office. You know, there are some roles that, and that's also what I'm very conscious about when when I'm talking to a broad range of people is, you know, even just the view that 
work from home is an option. Mm. It's actually not for a, a large number of people who contribute to Yeah, it's not. And it's not going to be. It's not like that changes because we still need people to be doing things in person, yeah. particularly on front lines and in caring roles and yeah, some exactly. of the, really the most important exactly. roles that are out there. So, so Yeah, so I found it quite uh, intriguing through COVID how that work from home and office work got so many headlines and I, w- I always wondered what it would have felt like to be someone in an industry or in a, you know, in a role where that's actually not an option. Mm. So the anxiety of physical proximity and transit was, you know, removing that from your day wasn't an option. But yeah. then we yeah. can go on to talking about diversity forever as a result of that. And I think that that's also, also healthy. The Family Friendly Workplaces podcast is an initiative supporting the new National Work and Family Standards for Workplaces, which informs employers of the minimum and best practice policies they can invest in to create a great family-friendly workplace culture. You can learn more at familyfriendlyworkplaces.com.